Welcome. This is an audio recording of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. The Council is a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to engaging the public in an exploration of global issues and foreign affairs, and we produce over 80 public events each year. To learn more about us or to become a member, visit dfwworld.org. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. Ambassador's first official visit to Dallas. He was born in Rabat, Morocco, earned an, a, just an incredibly rich background, uh, undergraduate degree in mathematics, and then attended and received his MBA uh, at the Rouen Business School in France, uh, worked with Morocco's civil service, and focused on issues of foreign trade. In 1979, he then moved from, uh, that, uh, from, from the Office of Foreign Trade to the Ministry of Finance, where he served as Deputy Director of the Trade Division and then eventually Head of the Commercial Division uh, at the Foreign Exchange Office. Uh, in 1991, he became the Secretary General of the Ministry of Foreign Trade, where he remained until 1994, when he became a Senior Advisor to two of Morocco's Prime Ministers. Then he, as my, my mother used to say, he got rabid in his feet, and he started looking for good overseas assignments. Uh, his first was where he was appointed ambassador to the European Union, and that was in 1996. In that capacity, he also covered Belgium and Luxembourg. And then in 1999, he was named Secretary General of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Cooperation, then left there to become ambassador to Germany, where he was for seven years before coming here. Now, uh, maybe next time he comes, or maybe you came this time in your own plane, because I know that you're a pilot, and you currently are president of the Aero Club Royal du Rabat, the Rabat Royal Air Club, uh, and also you have a very strong interest in, in, in film. And I think, you know, just like we were talking about our education program, so much can be learned through culture, and we're just so pleased that you're here, and we hope that it's the first of many visits. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome His Excellency. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you very much for this introduction, and uh, thank you for inviting me to speak at the World Affairs Council. I'm honored to be here. It's my first visit to Dallas and to uh, Texas. I'm really you have a very nice state, so congratulations on my. I don't say this in every state I visit. <laughs> so, uh, those who are not familiar with Morocco, just let me start by this. Uh, I know many of you have already visited Morocco, but uh, I said that in Chicago last time. And uh, when uh, General Patton visited Morocco for the first time, he landed in Morocco in Casablanca in 1943. And he was asked, how is Morocco like? And he said, it's a combination of the Bible and Hollywood. So for those, <laughs> for those who have never been there, you, you will discover how interesting Morocco is. So I would like to talk to you today about what's happening in our region. I will be focusing on Morocco. I heard that you, you, you talked a lot about Tunisia. I will just mention it. But uh, what's happening in our region and why is well, Morocco seems to be so different? If you remember, everything started in two 2011, and it took everybody by surprise. No expert, no analyst, no diplomat, uh, no politician. So uh, this arriving 
And uh, all of a sudden, it started in Tunisia with this uh, young uh, vendor who, uh, following his self-immolation. But what's happening in the Arab world? I mean, maybe we have just to, it seems to be the same everywhere, but it's different from one country to the other. You call it here the Arab Spring, uh, I call it the Arab protests, because spring, I mean, sometimes it represents something very nice, nice weather, and blossoms everywhere. Uh, but uh, in some countries, it's not, it's not like that. So if you see the Arab countries, all of them have a very young population, under 25, more than 50% under 25. A very high unemployment rates, uh, including young graduates, strong social disparities, feeling of injustice, exclusion, problems of governance, transparency, corruption. All this was happening in the same region at the same, at the same time. And then we had this first uh, blow that happened in Tunisia. And all of a sudden, all the countries had the same experience in Egypt, Libya. Uh, I've seen what happened in Libya, and then each case was, was different, and then there was a coalition, and uh, the president, Gaddafi, was, was killed in Libya. You have followed that. You have seen what happened in, in Egypt, in Bahrain, Yemen, Syria. Syria is still there, so the case is still open. Oman, Jordan, Mauritania, every country has been facing the same protests, the same uh, reactions of the population that asking for reforms, asking, most of them asking for their leaders to go, asking for changes, uh, and so. Uh, Morocco was maybe a little bit different, and I will try to explain to you uh, why. First, immediately after independence, Morocco has never been experiencing the one-party uh, regime, which has been experienced in all the other countries. And it makes a big uh, difference. Pluralism has always been the way our political life was conducted. Then maybe stability is also uh, something that is important. Morocco is a kingdom since 19... 1791, one of the longest dynasties uh, in, in the world. Legitimacy, I think it's also something important because no one was questioning our regime or our king, how he became king in other countries. Uh, the leaders have been there and changing the constitution every five, every seven, every six years for be being re-elected and you had this phenomenon that uh, president had been staying for 30, 35, 40 years and preparing for uh, succession for their son to take over and this is what was happening in all countries. So it explains also uh, wh what, uh, what happened there. Uh, in uh, 19 or 1997, if you remember, King, uh, late King Hassan II gave the pardon to all the opponents who were outside the country, and all of them were back. Uh, 
most of them have been condemned to prison. They have been in exile in Europe, in Spain, and elsewhere. And they all have been back in a sort of reconciliation in the country. And they participated in the elections in 1997. And then uh, the Socialist Party won the elections. I mean, they didn't have the majority, but they won the elections. And uh, Mr. Yusufi, who was a historical leader of the Socialist Party, who had been in exile in, in France, became the prime minister. You mentioned that I served as senior advisor of uh, prime minister, and I worked with uh, Mr. Uh, Yusufi. Uh, I, I was saying this because, once again, the opposition was back in Morocco, the opposition started to participate in our uh, political life, and uh, uh, the Socialist Party was then the head of the uh, government. At that time, in 1997, the Islamist Party participated also in the election. And we'll come back to that because it's important to understand what's have been happening in Morocco, but in 1997, they participated for the first time in the um, elections. When the King Mohammed VI became king in uh, uh, July 1999, he started by very, very big and important uh, reforms. The first one of them was to give equal rights to men and women. And I think this reform known as the family code was something very uh, important. Uh, they, the way this has been handled is also very significant on the way we do things in Morocco. Because it's a very important reform, it has not been done just by giving a draft of a new uh, law to the parliament and then you will be having discussions and fights between parties in parliament. Now the king wanted a consensus for such a big reform. So it took almost three years to bring everybody together and to talk with leaders of parties, NGOs, um, unions, uh, everyone was involved in this big reform and then when the text went to the Parliament, it was voted unanimously by all parties, including the Islamist uh, uh, party. And I think this is very important to understand how things go in Morocco. When you see that you involve the population, nothing has been done against the population. Maybe some people did not agree, uh, some wanted more, but the way it has been done was involving everybody, and I think this is uh, very uh, important. So, in this reform, giving equal rights, it was mandatory inclusion of women in national and local elections, uh, big process of regionalization, not only decisions taken in Rabat, but all the 16 regions of, of Morocco will be involved in local uh, elections. The second big reform, the first one was this uh, equal rights between women and men. The second was the um, human rights issue. And maybe you heard about uh, what we call this uh, equity 
and Reconciliation Commission that was created in, uh, in Morocco in 2004, the king said, I would like to know if there were any human rights violations in Morocco from the day of our independence, 1956, to the day I became king, 1999. And the way he conducted that, it was a commission of 17 people, all of them have been in prison for their ideas, and, and all of them suffered from human rights violations. And then you had the king sitting with the president of this commission who has been in jail for 70 years, and he was the one who was talking to how can we do things in Morocco so that just see what happened and see why the, how to do so it will never happen again. And the day the commission started to work, they said, anyone who thinks has suffered from uh, human rights violations had to submit his case to the commission. And this commission received 20,861 cases. So the commission went through all these cases and they ended up with a little more than 16,000 cases that were considered as human rights violations. And they went through every case. And I remember uh, with a lot of emotion when you had to see that and people were giving live testimonies on television. So it was nationally wide. Everyone was following what's happening and listening to some cases. And the commission was going all over the country having meetings and explaining the way they were conducting uh, this uh, the cases and listening to people and each one of them has received reparations. Financial, some got their job back, uh, some needed uh, medical treatment, so for life they will be treated for free and so on. And then the commission proposed new regulations so this will never happen again. Once again, you have seen how the population has been involved and trying to have everybody taking part in a, a big issue and how we'll be doing, I mean, when you go through your past, maybe it's easier than to turn the page and say, let's go and look to the future. And I think this was also a very courageous gesture because you would tell me, we know many, ca many cases like that that happened in the world, maybe in South Africa and Argentina and other places, but this is the only case uh, in the world where the head of state was talking of a period where his father was the head of state. So I think this was a very wise way to uh, conduct this, uh, uh, this case. And then the king launched what he called the uh, human, human Development Initiative, just how to fight poverty and exclusion. So many programs have been implemented, si implemented since 2005 involving all regions of Morocco, social programs, helping people to get jobs mm, and so on. Once again, <coughs> being very close to the population and going everywhere. And if you follow Moroccan television, you will see that the king is everywhere. I mean, it's not easy to find him in Rabat very often. He is all over the country and staying in, in places. And uh, we have seen once even having a tent in a 
small village in the mountains when you can hardly uh, arrive there with a car, stay for two nights, just to be close to the population and be able to listen to people. And I think this is very important. So when we had this first demonstration also in Morocco in February 2011, I was, I was in Morocco. Uh, at that time I was in Germany and I took 10 uh, ambassadors to Germany and uh, Ukraine, Brazil, Spain, and, and Japan, Australia. I just took them for a trip because I was presenting a group not like the World Affair Council, but we receive a guest every, every month, and I decided when I was presiding the group to take the uh, members to Morocco and to have the discussion with our ministers. This has been decided six or seven months before, so when we arrived, it was the very day where the demonstration was taking place in Morocco. And I mean, my colleagues were a little bit nervous. What would be happening? They were asking their friends, I mean, their colleagues in Morocco, we hear that there would be a huge demonstration. I said, we'll see, we'll see how things go. And we were in Fez that day. So we left from Rabat. When we arrived in Fez, it was a big demonstration. And with our bus, we went through the demonstration. Policemen were on one side, demonstrators were on the other side. It was a demonstration like you can find everywhere, handled in a very proper way. I mean, the policemen were just there trying to keep everyone quiet and, you know. Uh, so we went through that and all the ambassadors even taking pictures and so on. And we spent the whole day in Fez, in the Medina. So we had a huge, big demonstration, but it was handled, I think, in a proper way. And the way the king reacted was also something very significant because just two weeks before he gave a very, very important speech in which he announced a reform of the constitution and early elections. Once again, for the reform of the constitution, it was not just a draft that they say, okay, this is the new constitution. Once again, a commission with uh, political parties, NGOs, unions, I mean, anyone who could bring something or was involved in drafting this uh, project that then was submitted to a referendum in on July. Uh, also, <coughs> in his speech, the king went even sometimes beyond what the demonstrators or what those who wanted reforms were asking. They were asking to speed up reforms. They were asking for more reforms. They never asked what we should have to change. They were supporting the king, but just wanted more changes taking place in, in Morocco. And uh, this constitution, how it works, I mean, uh, we had the elections, but the new, according to the new constitution, the party who wins the elections will give the prime minister. And the Islamist parties won the elections with 27% of the seats. They don't have a majority, but they were asked to form the government. So they had to build up a, a new a, a coalition. It was not so difficult for them. It took more than one month, but they had a coalition with three uh, other parties. And I think they were able to build this coalition because they have been in parliament since 1997. They have been involved in our political life. Uh, they have been with other parties. They have their friends. 
they have those who don't like them, but they have been able to have a coalition and to have a program that was accepted by the Conservative Party, who is part of the coalition and also by the Islamist Party. And this is what we have now. I met my minister for the first time in DC. I didn't meet him before. Uh, he is from the Islamist Party. He is a professor. And uh, we had very nice discussions in, uh, in DC. Uh, he was here last week again, second visit to the United States, and uh, he will be again in Chicago next week for the NATO summit, and we will be there again. So we have been talking with our American allies and, and partners, uh, and we, I mean, they have their differences, but when the uh, future of Morocco and the relations with the rest of the world are concerned, we are dealing with things the way anyone would be uh, dealing. And I think this is important, again, how we have been handling this case and how this party have been, have been doing. Being in parliament since 1997, I think, also helped mm, a lot to uh, understand why, once again, it was different in, in Morocco. I don't know how long I have been talking, but uh, maybe it could be time for questions and answers. But really what I wanted to, to tell you is that involving the population was a key element mm -hmm. in the way we have been handling the issue in Morocco. And uh, thank you for your attention. I will be very happy to answer any one of your questions. Thank you. education level in Morocco I mean to me what the story <coughs> what you're telling me is amazing I come from Pakistan and I've seen Pakistan for 10 cents uh, democracy and the military taking over and the democracy and the military taking over uh, but a lot of it comes from the fact that the population is not that well educated and could be swayed uh, by the other side what about Morocco how is the education level there? yeah Thank you, thank you for this question. I didn't mention, I, I knew that this will come up in the question. Uh, the challenges, Morocco, I mean what I've been describing might appear as, oh, this is very nice, but it doesn't mean that we don't have problems and that we don't have challenges. One of them is education. We have been spending huge amounts of money in education and uh, it's not a big success. In 2011, uh, more than 45 or around 45% of the population cannot read or write. And, you know, this is really something very important and uh, many reasons uh, uh, for that. But uh, we have been tackling this in many ways, uh, fighting illiteracy because you have at the same time to do for adults and also to take care of children. Uh, children in rural areas, people want to keep their children with them because they need them to help them instead of sending them to school 
because water is very far from the village. You know, you have to go and bring water every day. Uh, you have to work uh, with your father planting uh, any kind of, of vegetables or fruits. And he, for him, education is not that important because he needs his son. So we have been trying to work on that. It has been very difficult. And the way we have been handling this recently is to uh, give grants to the family. If you send your children to school, you make some money out of it. Uh, it has not been very successful in the beginning because we have been giving the money to the father. When we started to give the money to the mother, then <laughs> more, more than 75% now of the children are go to school. And then we have been working also on, on the adults. So it's a long way because you cannot do that uh, in, in few weeks. So it, it takes almost one generation or maybe 10 years to be able to overcome this. And we have other challenges. I might come back Is to that. Is there equality between boys and girls going to school? Yes, it's exactly the same. No, 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 no problem between boys and girls. Good Excellency, I want to understand the relationship between your role as an ambassador. And you mentioned the head of the Islamist government was in DC recently. Are you appointed by the king? Or are you appointed by the elected officials? I'd like uh, to know the relationship. Yes. We, in the new constitution, ambassadors have always been appointed by the king and are still appointed by the king. According to the new constitution, the foreign minister and the prime minister, I mean, the foreign minister will propose the ambassador. Then you will have a cabinet meeting to endorse the proposition, and then the proposition will go to the king to, for final decision. So this is the way it, it is conducted now. I report to my minister directly, and in some issues I would, I would also report to the king. My question, Mr. Ambassador, has to do with the trade between the United States and Morocco. My understanding is that Morocco has one of the most favorable trade treaties with the United States that opens up uh, possibilities for free trade uh, of all types, but uh, you have not really gotten a high level of trade yet with the United States. We've, we've benefited tremendously from shipping products to Morocco. And I was wondering, you, do you see changes coming in the Moroccan economy where you will be shipping more products uh, to the United States? Oh, thank you. Um, you know, we, we signed the free trade agreement in 2004, and it entered into force in 2006. You're right, we are the only Arab country having a I think, free trade agreement with the United States. Uh, you have heard about my background that I have been involved in these issues uh, most of my career, and so I'm handling this uh, almost on a day-by-day uh, -day basis. I, uh, you're right, it's not working so well, but we have some homework to do in, in Morocco, and also we have been working with our American partners 
in order to be able to overcome some obstacles that still exist even if there is a free trade agreement. So um, uh, for uh, our agricultural products, we have some difficulties with the sanitary uh, certifications uh, that are not take some, some time. And, and you know, when you have a container of tomatoes in somewhere, and I mean, after two or three days, if you don't have this certification, I mean, there is nothing you can do. So we are working on that. I have been uh, settling a working group with uh, Ambassador Shapiro, who is uh, the USGR in charge of these questions and trying to uh, overcome all these difficulties. But despite of that, trade is doing very well, better from the States to the to Morocco, then from Morocco to the United States. We are working also on opening a direct maritime line between a uh, American harbor and uh, maybe Casablanca or Agadir to be able to uh, transport all our products. So we are really working on, on that. And uh, if you have any ideas and you want to provide any assistance or any advice, please feel free to do so. And uh, I would love to listen to you ab about that. But I think we will be improving this, uh, uh, this free trade agreement with the States. We have time for two more questions, and then I hope you'll be able to stay for a little bit so okay. that you can visit with some who won't have a chance. I think you had a question. Um, thanks a lot for uh, your earlier presentation. I think it revealed a lot that uh, I didn't understand uh, about the differences in Morocco. Uh, but it seems like um, King Mohammed has, is a reformer from his first day. Um, how come that the need for constitutional reform was missed until the people rose? And in what aspect the new reforms in the constitution would fulfill the requirement or request for a change? Uh, the yes, you're right. The king started reforming the first very first day he became he became king but you know reforms take time uh, our constitution has been already changed six times uh, so time come from reforms maybe it didn't happen exactly at that time because we were involved in some people would say more important issues social issues employment uh, poverty uh, exclusion uh, so maybe he thought that okay time for changing the constitution will, will come. Uh, so when we had a demonstration, it was just to speed up a little bit uh, that. But it was, I think, in, in the agenda because this reform process has been starting since 1999 and it was on, on the way. Uh, what happened just speed up things. Okay. I enjoy three-week visit to Morocco, and I was amazed by the generosity of the king. Um, and I don't understand, though, the private sector. It seems like all the money is flowing from the king uh, to the people. Could you discuss a little bit more the private sector and GDP? I imagine that tourism is your biggest export, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, private sector did always exist in Morocco. They are investing a lot. Uh, 
we had even a very big privatization program, so all the companies that were belonging to the uh, public sector were transferred to uh, the private business. Uh, when there is a crisis, you know, uh, investors sometimes are very reluctant to to invest and uh, you know um, all of you many of you are investors and you will think twice and sometimes say oh maybe it's not the right time let's wait a little bit but uh, they are they are a lot of incentives are given to them from Hubs party to to invest foreign investment is doing well it's going down because of uh, what you call the Arab Spring there is a decrease of 16 percent in uh, foreign investments and I hope that uh, this will be corrected uh, soon, but uh, yes, the king thinks that uh, he has, uh, we have created a lot of funds in Morocco with public and private money that are investing in sectors in which maybe uh, many of the investors won't go. I mean, for social issues and in uh, infrastructure, it's not private investment. Uh, also, I would like to tell you that <coughs> many, the, the Gulf countries have been helping Morocco a lot and very recently they have uh, granted Morocco with a fund of 2.5 billion euros, uh, dollars just for the tourism sector, to invest in tourism sector because it's very, very promising. Uh, creates a lot of jobs and, and uh, for the GDP, it's a, a very important sector. Next one, please. Thank you very much. For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.